Good morning, everybody. I'm so glad that you're here today. My name is Matt Wolf, and I'm excited about today. I'm excited about today. It's going to be good. You picked a good day to come to church. So congratulations to you. Why don't you pat yourself on the back right there? Yeah, there we go. But I'm so glad that you do that. We are Stapleton Church, and we're all about helping people follow Jesus. We want to help you follow Jesus, and we want you to help others follow Jesus. Part of that is we all volunteer and serve. And I just want to call a couple things that we need some volunteers for. One, we need a drummer. We have an awesome drummer, Caleb, but he's going to be gone a couple weeks, headed to Alaska on a mission trip. You heard about that uh, last week. And so we just need to have a backup drummer. Someone say, hey, I can come in every once in a while and play. We need you. If you're that person, I'm talking to you. Second, we need some second service greeters. I know you guys are first service people, but maybe you would be willing to stay after the first service for about a half hour, 40 minutes, and say, hey, I'll help out and I'll greet at the beginning of the second service. We need you. We really need some second service greeters. So make sure you mark your connection card if you're interested in either one of those and put it in one of the boxes on your way out. There's these little boxes. You can put it in the slot. Okay, that's what I want to say. I also want to do say a couple of things um, that are coming up. One, this is a special event, so I just wanted to be the one to kind of introduce it to you. But on October 14th, we have a family coming here that you guys are going to get to meet, James and Lindsay Ellis. Now, James and Lindsay Ellis were a missionary couple, a missionary family that my church in Nebraska supported while I was there. They went to South Sudan, which, if you even knew that was a country, is the youngest country in the world. And they went there, and it was right in the midst of a civil war. So they had to flee the country, but through that, James was actually attacked and left for dead on the side of the road. And it, it was just a miracle that even someone stumbled upon him and, and was able to get him to a hospital and help him, and they finally got him back into the U.S., where he's been recovering from major brain trauma, but he's made really miraculous recovery, and he just has such a powerful story of what he can share um, about what, the work that they were doing there. So look forward. We're still working on details of what that is, but Sunday, October 14th, that night, we're going to have a special thing, maybe a dinner. We're going to have a time of Q&A, but this is like a real-life hero. I mean, incredible story that this family has, so you're going to want to be here for that. The second thing is we um, met earlier this year in June a guy by the name of Josh Allen. Does anybody remember Josh when he was here? to fill in, fill in and preach, did an excellent job. Josh is actually a friend of mine, and he's part of our church network, Converge, and he's planting a church in Colorado Springs. So we got to hear from him um, in June as he talked about that, and his church is called Hope Colorado Springs, and today is their first Sunday. They've been kind of getting people interested and gathering, and then this is their like, first real deal. It's kind of like, uh-oh, we're going to go out there, see if anybody even wants to come to church here. So it's exciting, um, a really cool thing that's going on. So we're going to have a special prayer time right now so you guys can be at prayer with them. I think their service starts at 10, so we get to do a little prelude, you know, pray that it's going to go well this morning and all their volunteers and, and even uh, probably Josh himself gets all those jitters and nerves out of the way can deliver a dynamite message. So would you guys pray with me right now? Lord God, it was a privilege to meet Josh for those of us who are here in June and that we can have a relationship with him and support him financially and also right now with prayer. Lord God, we're so excited with what you are doing even here in the Rocky Mountain region through our network of churches. Lord, and I pray that hope, Colorado Springs, would bring hope to men, to women, to children, to those who are struggling. And I pray, Lord, that you would just be that beacon of hope shining through them. I pray that you'd be with Josh to give him clarity of speech, that he would be winsome and kind, and their whole team of volunteers would be as well. Would you just shake off their nerves and would you make this Sunday better than anything they could have asked or imagined? Because you are a good God, Lord. And you call us to make disciples, and they're going to do that. And I pray that you would bless their ministry in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And yeah, for this, if you, guys, if you guys voted in in our new budget, we're going to be supporting them monthly. So make sure you're here next week to vote for that, that budget. Okay? You ready for the message today? Good. Relationship goals. We are going to learn today how to fight and how to win <laughs> fights. That's what you wanted, right? Last week we started this relationship goals series because we all come into marriage, into family life with goals of what it could be and what it should be. We have expectations, we have hopes. And last week we talked about, hey, we have all those things coming in, but what happens is when you bring in all those hopes, goals, and expectations, even if they're great, even if they're biblical and awesome, and you put them on the other person in your marriage or in your family, it becomes a burden to them. How could I ever live up to that? And it becomes something hard and hard and pushes them down. So we learned last week that what we need to do instead of focusing on my goals and my dreams and my hopes is focus on the other person's. We learned that you have to have a what? Anybody? Submission competition. 
A few of you remember that. Good. Submission competition. And that's what we have to do in, in a family and in a relationship that we need to submit to one another, that we seek the best of the other person in the relationship. It's not about me. And when you do that, and when both people in a marriage do that, when the whole family does that, then everyone is supported and lift up. That's what we are called to do. So that was kind of the baseline for this whole series. That was an important message. If you missed that, you can go back on stapletonchurch.com under the media tab. We have audio and video available. So you can catch up on that. But today we're going to talk about how to win fights. Isn't, wouldn't that be a good goal? You know, we come in with maybe the goal of we're not going to have any fights. We're going to have, we, we just don't fight. You know, we just have this love. It's different than everybody else's. That's what happens when you first start a date and get engaged and married. And then all of a sudden you realize, uh-oh, that's impossible. Very quickly you realize that, that wasn't a good goal to never have fights because it's impossible. But then you think, now I've got to win the fights. That kind of becomes our goal, to win the fight. And I'm going to tell you that, yes, you should seek to win the fight, and I'm going to teach you how. Hmm. Hmm. Build a little intrigue. So um, this week, I posted on Facebook at the beginning of the week. I said, hey, I'm working on this message on winning fights. And I just asked for people to write the most ridiculous fight they have had in their marriage or family life. And I got some, some good ones, um, and I just wanted to tell you guys about a few of them that people responded on Facebook. Uh, one person said, that they were all saying, oh, this was early on in our marriage. And we're like, sure, you, still, you don't have any bad, dumb fights anymore, right, once you get past year three. But one person was fighting with their spouse over who had to kill the spider, right? Who's, you're, you're supposed to do it. You know, who's supposed to kill the spider? Another couple fought over which, store, which door to use to exit the grocery store. Really important. Huge fight, I'm sure, in the grocery store. Another uh, couple fought when they were picking out which plates to register for. Some, for some people, registering is the worst thing in the world. Okay? And, and then another couple, I love this, had a huge fight over how to put the toilet paper roll on, on the roll, right? And I was like, there's only one right way, isn't there? <laughs> but I guess that's something that they needed to fight about and hash out. But that's the thing. When you do get into marriage, you fight about some stupid, absurd things, and you look back and you say, How, why did we ever fight about that? That was so foolish and stupid. It doesn't even matter to me anymore. But then there's other things that do matter, right? They are important to me. I'm, I'm going to hold my ground on this. I have to win this fight. I've got to, to hold my ground and make sure that I get what I want in this relationship. So today we're going to talk a lot about marriage, but this concept of winning fights is going to really apply to all your relationships. You can use it in all your families and in this passage talks about multiple different types of relationships. Although probably a lot of the suggestions I give and examples I use are in marriage, you can take it, you guys are smart enough, and apply it to your other relationships in your life. You could do that, right? Okay, good. Good. Because I want to teach you how to win. Because what happens when we have these fights, we don't listen. We don't try to empathize with the other person. We don't try to seek their best. What we do when they're talking is we think of what we're going to say to come back and prove that they're wrong. Maybe we use logic. Maybe we use arguments. Maybe we poll other people. Have any of you ever done that? You take a quick straw poll. What do you guys think? Maybe you Google it. I'm right. I've got to be, man, you've got the phone in your pocket. You can look it up. I'm going to prove I'm right on this thing. You, you, you know, that's what we're thinking. Even before the other person has said their sentence, we're not listening, right? We're just thinking, what's my rebuttal going to be? How can I be right? Some of you are like, I'm very logical and I can prove that I'm right. Uh, and the other person's like, well, I'm very emotional and, and I can just feel that it's right. And that's why I'm right. And logical person says, no, no, that's why I'm right. And, and boom, boom, boom. You ever had that happen to you before? Everybody just wants to win. But let me tell you this. I'm going to teach you how to win. I'm going to teach you how to win. And this is your big idea for today. To win a fight. If a fight is to be won, the angers must be done. A fight is won when anger's done. I want you to write that down. A fight is won when anger's done. If you really want to win fights, you have to figure out a way to resolve not the issue, but the anger. Not the issue, but the anger. And I'm going to show you this from our passage today. It's a very short passage. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. If you have a Bible or a phone, you can go ahead and get there with me. But in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, it says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. You've probably heard that phrase before, even if you've never gone to church before. 
don't let the sun go down on your anger. You've heard that before? It's a pretty common phrase even in today's um, uh, culture and language, even for people who don't even know anything about the Bible. But what we're taught here is in your anger. The first thing I want you to notice, it says in your anger. Because we get angry, don't we? We don't need to pretend that we don't. We don't need to be self-righteous and say, oh, I don't get angry about anything. I'm just real calm. No, no, no. You get angry. You might be better than others at holding it in. But we get angry. And it doesn't say, don't get angry, does it? It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. What this passage is teaching us is that it's not about who's right or wrong. It's not even about what decision you guys make to come and make Make it past the impacts of that fight that you're having. What matters is, is the anger done? A fight is won when anger's done. And I want you to remember that if you really want to win fights, not just get your way, if you want to win what's best for the couple, what's best for the family, what's best for the relationship, you've got to get past the anger. A fight is won when anger's done. Is tracking with me? This is how we're actually going to win. And not just get our way. You know, if you notice, it says, do not give the devil a foothold. Do you notice that? I know some of you don't believe in the devil. That's okay. He's there, whether you want to believe in him or not. Just the greatest trick the devil ever pulled is convincing the world he doesn't exist, right? The devil's there. There's evil. Even if you don't believe in the devil, just say, there's evil that can come into a relationship. And that's what happens when you don't resolve the anger. When you just let that fight go on and on and on and on. And this is why I want to say this. Because sometimes you think you've won the fight because you got your way. Or there was a compromise. But if the other person is still angry, you haven't won. And it's going to come back to haunt you. You've given the devil a foothold in that relationship if you have not resolved the anger. You got You follow me? This is what it says in Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, it says, Try to be at peace with everyone. Let no one become like a bitter plant that grows up and causes many troubles with its poison. See, here's what happened. If you let anger go one day to the next, and then a week goes by, then months, and then years, and then decades, it's going to crowd your heart. It's going to be like a bitter, poisonous plant that suffocates and poisons and kills everything else. You've let it take root. Have any of you guys gone down to the Colorado and seen the tamarisk plants? If you know about this, they are not native to Colorado. They're not native to the West. They were actually probably imported from Eurasia and Africa, and these plants probably in the early 1900s. But by the 1960s, these plants had taken over all of the shorelines of the Colorado River. If you go there, you know because you can't see the river. These plants are so big and so huge that they choke out all the other natural vegetation. It's really bad. It's really bad, and all these uh, scientists are trying to figure out what to do. They have some solutions. They brought in a Japanese beetle to try to eat these plants because it's so bad, and, and they're, they're so dense and close together that it's hard for animals to come and get water. And then these plants suck up even more water, and then us humans and the animals and everybody else who's trying to get water to survive doesn't have enough because these tamarisk plants have grown so quickly, and they've just taken a stranglehold on the entire Colorado River. It's a big issue. This is what happens in your heart when you let anger take root. It grows. It becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is what happens. You're thinking about that person. They got their way that time and that time. They don't even care about me. They're always just in it for them. They're so selfish. It's not about me. And this, you're creating this whole scenario in your mind and just forgetting. Eventually, you'll forget about all the love and care that that person had for you because you've let that anger take root in your soul. And if you won your way, you had the compromise, you got what you wanted, but that happens to the other person in the relationship, or that happens to you in the relationship, you have lost. If you win the fight, but there's still anger in the other person's heart, you have lost. You've lost. And here's why this is true. And here's why this is true. Because the relationship you have is more important than your resolution. Your relationship is more important than your resolution. 
Yeah, you want to resolve things. You want to come and figure out, okay, how are we going to compromise? Are we going to go with what you want to do, what I want to do, or something third altogether so that no, nobody gets what they want in this particular situation? There's different ways to come to an agreement, right? But the particular resolution you decide on does not matter as much as the relationship itself. The relationship is more important than the resolution. And I mean this, you may decide that it's time to move, it's time to buy that house, or, or whatever decision, okay, I guess we can buy the boat right now. You're, you're coming up to these decisions and you make it, but whatever you particularly decide doesn't matter. What matters more than that is the relationship that you either preserve or harm. I'm serious. Some of us hold on to these things. I, I can't give this up, I've got to have my way. I've got to win this one. I've got to stand my ground. And then it hurts the relationship, and it would have been so much better for you if you had just let go. It would have, because the relationship is more important than the particular resolution you choose. And that's what this passage is teaching us, isn't it? We've got to strive to focus on the relationship. And when you do that, you're going to say, okay, if we made a compromise and someone's still angry, it's not a good decision. We've got to figure out how can we resolve this between us. In our hearts or between the two of us. You know, a lot of us do want there to be a right answer and a wrong answer. We're black and white people. Any of you like that? You're going to Google it up so you make sure you know the, the right time that that album came out. Like, I know. I, I was right, see? But if you just humiliated the other person, embarrassed them in public, you lost. Who cares if you knew when Prince's Purple Rain came out? The relationship is more important than resolution. So, I want to say this. There's, there's this, a dumb show that came out several years ago. Maybe you saw it. It was, it was not good. It, critics hated it. It was called The Marriage Ref. Did anybody ever catch that? Jerry Seinfeld produced this show. And he said, you know, it was a good idea, concept, right? He said, you know, in, in marriage you're having this, this fight and you're arguing and you're going back and forth. Don't you wish you had a ref to just adjudicate, decide who's right and who's wrong? So that's what they did. They got this panel of three experts and they heard couples come in and share their real life problems and fights, and then the judges would decide and make a decision. Who wins? Who loses? And we think, oh, that sounds great. But the show didn't work for one, and it's also because the particular resolution doesn't matter. People may do completely different things. You as a couple may decide on something that doesn't make sense for anybody else. So if you were to poll everybody else or look at, well, what are people doing nationally? Let's do a study on that and figure out how many times we need to have sex. Okay, just because you get this poll and a nationwide survey, what matters for the couple is more important. The relationship is more important than the resolution. Tracking with me? We don't need a marriage ref. Uh, one of the people who uh, commented on the Facebook post was Melissa Dion here in our church. And Melissa said that she and her husband Matthew, who was up here playing guitar earlier, did a great job. Um, it, they had a fight early on and, and they were, that Matthew had taken her keys and left her. Stranded, right? Taking her keys, and she needed the keys. And, and finally, when, when they got together, she was just yelling at him. And this is her words. She was just yelling at him. They were fighting. She was so angry. And, and Matthew finally just said, you know, I didn't do it on purpose. I'm not your enemy. I love you. And she said that made so much difference in her relationship when she realized that, hey, that's right. We're not against each other. It's not about one person winning and one person losing. It's about both of us winning together. A fight is won when anger's done. And that's what we need to see. That should be our goal. How can we resolve the anger here in this situation? Someone's frustrated, angry, bitter. That's not okay. You've got to figure that out over anything else. So I want to give you um, four different ways that you can do this practically. Because this is a very practical message, and I want to give you some practical things that you can do to resolve anger. So you're saying, Matt, that sounds great, but I'm still angry from five years ago. I didn't want to move to Colorado. I'm still here. So this is the four things that I want to teach you. The first one, stop sinning. <laughs> stop sinning. Pretty simple, right? Stop sinning. I mean this. In the fight, in the anger, you're sinning. And that's what it's told us in, in verse 26, isn't it? It said, in your anger, do not sin. You can be angry. This is actually quoting Psalm 4.4. That's why there's these quotation marks in it. It comes from the Old Testament. It said, you're going to be angry. 
When you're angry, don't sin. Don't do something stupid. Don't do something that's going to hurt the other person or hurt yourself. Because this is what we do. So practically, this a lot of times is what we say, right? What we say can make the fight so much worse. We get our way, but we've said some awful things, and we wish we could go back and rewind and say, I wish I could take those words back. I didn't really mean it, but I just said it in the heat of the moment. So we need to learn how to control our mouths, and that's what we learn later in Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 29, we're, said, we're told, Let no harmful language come from your mouth, only good words that are helpful. You always need to ask yourself, will this harm the person or will it help them? And if it's going to harm them, don't do it. Yeah, you may win the fight. You may have pointed out all their flaws because you know them. You've seen everything. Other people don't know what I know about them. You can harm them very easily. The people that we know the most can harm us the most too, right? And we need to say, hey, instead of doing that, I'm going to do something that's helpful with my words. So when you are having a fight, you, you may just call it a quarrel or whatever you call it. That's fine. I call them a fight. <laughs> yes, Melissa and I have had fights. I'll admit to it. I know I'm the only one here, but I'll say it. We've had fights. And when we fight, there's some rules that you need to have, and especially about what you say, because we need to stop sinning with what we say. We need to not criticize each other. We definitely shouldn't have any name-calling. We need to get rid of superlatives. This is lying because we're exaggerating the truth. You always do that. You never remember to put your shoes away. Yeah, it's been several times, but I'm sure he's put his shoes away once or twice. But we exaggerate and we make it so much worse. And then it becomes a character attack, and we can't do that. It's like character assassination. Okay, you forgot to put your shoes away, becomes you're a careless person and you don't care about me. This is so important to me. You don't care about me. You don't love me. We've exaggerated it so far and this person is now careless, unloving, an awful person. It's just exaggerated. We have sinned and we have made the fight even worse. The anger has just grown and grown because of us sinning in response. And this can even happen when we try to get back at them or to get even. It's not our place ever to get back at someone. I don't care what they did to you. We can't get back because that is sin. If you do something wrong to a person, it's still wrong no matter what they did to you. So we can't get back. We can't get even. We learned a couple weeks ago that that's God's job. Let God handle that. God handled that. So we don't get back when we get even. Uh, there, I read a book on, on boundaries in marriage by Cloud, uh, Henry Cloud and, and Townsend. I forget his first name, John. Very famous uh, Christian counselors. And in their book, they tell this story about a uh, couple. The woman was just spending a ton of money and just had no control over her spending habits. So the husband thought, I'm going to teach her. And he went out and bought a boat. Because if he bought a boat, then she would feel the weight of the financial burden. Then she'll know what it's really like, what she's been putting me through. But it didn't help. It only made matters get worse. And they were even in worse financial state, and it never got better. When we try to get back, when we sin by doing that, we make things worse. We make it worse, and it gets worse and worse and grows out of control. So we need to stop sinning. That's the first thing. And the second thing that we need to do is to throw things. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this because we had a whole message on this a few weeks ago, didn't we, on Labor Day? Do you remember this message? Go back and listen to it. And it came from Psalm 55.22. Let's look at this verse. Some of you are like, what? Psalm 55.22 says, Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Instead of throwing everything you have at the other person, I hate you, you're awful, you're terrible, why did you do that? We're supposed to throw it at God. God can handle it. and He can catch anything we have to throw at him. So when we're like, I hate this person. They're so awful. God's like, okay. And while we're doing that, he's sustaining us. He's healing our heart. We're allowed to say those things to him. But even if we vent it to someone else, it may make things much worse. A lot of people tell you to vent to other people. I don't think it's very helpful. We should vent to God. Throw things at God. Or else you will throw things at other people. You've been there? You don't have to raise your hand. So that's the second thing, throw things at God, because sometimes you just need to handle it in your own heart. Maybe this can come to a resolution completely and totally without the other person involved, if you just handle it with God. 
Because here's another thing. There was a study done, and they found that 69% of the conflicts that couples have in a marriage are perpetual. Great news, right? 69% of the conflicts you have as couples are perpetual. They will never resolve. They come back maybe in slightly different forms, but they keep emerging over and over again because we have different personalities, we have different values, we have different needs. Some of those conflicts will never cease. When you decide to get married to someone, you're choosing to have fights with that person for the rest of your life. Amen. (laughs) These conflicts are just never-ending. So sometimes we just need to realize, yeah, we've kind of thought about that over and over again, but it's so, I can deal with that. I can get over it. If that's my job to take care of that, well, my mentor said he, he struggled forever because his wife would always leave the blow dryer cord over the sink every morning. And it drove him crazy. And finally he decided, well, maybe I should just move the cord. And that was his job. Such a small thing. He could do that every day. And then it was fine. Sometimes we just need to resolve it. But here's the third thing. And I do want to point this out. So, so if the second thing is throw things and we throw them at God, the third thing is to avoid delay. Now, I really want you guys to get this today. Avoid delay. This is so important to this message. If we really want to win, for anger to be done in our relationships, we have to learn to avoid delay. And I'm saying this because there's a lot of wisdom out there that says the opposite of this. But this biblical wisdom, and it's very good, practical, it works. Ephesians 4.26, remember our verse, it says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry saying that there should be a time period that's short before you work things out and the anger is done. There's an actual resolution, not because you made a decision, but actual anger has ceased. There's no more bitterness, no more rage. Now, people debate whether this is literal or metaphorical. I don't care. You can interpret it however you want. I think it's saying, though, that it should be a very short time between the start of a fight and the anger being done. Very short time. The sun going down. I mean, that could be a matter of hours. Now, I know, because I've talked with you, I've felt it myself that sometimes it's 2 o'clock in the morning. The sun has gone down, and you're still at it, and now you're sleep-deprived, and you're angry, and you're getting nowhere. But sometimes there is justification in taking a time out. Some of you need to do this, too, in your situation. Um, In our um, community group questions... Grant is doing a great job putting these together. I want you to see this because we're asking people now to look at these questions, fill them in before you go to community group this week. And if you look in the second question, it talks about how there's two different types in a lot of relationships, two different types of people. There's an attacker, someone on the offensive, and a defender or withdrawer, right? Someone who fights and someone who flights, flees. You got me, right? Fight or flight. There's those responses that we have. And a lot of times in a marriage relationship, there's one of each. One person when that fight is happening, it's like, we're going to work this out. We're going to figure it out right now. No sun is going down on this anger. And the other person's like, runs away. Gets in the car and drives off. Leaves without saying anything, okay? You, you got me? All of a sudden you're like, where are you? Oh, I'm staying at my mom's now. What? Does that, you know, this, this is what I'm talking about. And, and this is natural in relationships. So this is what I want to say. If we're told to avoid delay, that's what this is teaching us. What we need to say is, if you are the person who needs a timeout, you are so furious that you can't even get words out, then make sure you always set a time where you will reconvene. And make it as brief as possible. Because here's, here's the thing. As angry as we get, if you can't calm yourself down in a few hours, you've got some other issues. Go on a walk around the block and say, hey, I'm going on a walk. When I get back in one hour, we are discussing this. Give yourself that time, maybe a few hours. If you have to, the night. But don't make it very long. That's what this passage is teaching us. Avoid delay, because the longer you have a delay between a fight starting and the anger resolving, the worse it's going to get. Those tamarisk bushes are going to grow up and suck out all the life around you. It's going to poison your relationship. Because this is what happens when you delay. You start remembering every other bad thing that person has done. You have this great laundry list that you've been keeping for years. They did this and this and this. And then it becomes a character story. And then you write a whole essay about all the awful things they've done. And maybe you tell somebody else. And they're like, oh, I want to put up with that. And then it's just getting worse and worse and snowballing and getting out of control. And that's what happens if you delay the resolution. If you had just gone back and said, I'm really hurt by you doing this. It hurt me. I'm angry. And if the person says, I'm sorry, boom. 
Sometimes that healing can happen so quickly, but the longer we delay, the worse it gets. And this is why I want to tell you this, because some people say that you shouldn't do this. Some people say, oh, you need to just separate for a while, just calm down, get away, do your hobby or whatever. But now mathematics are proving that that is a bad decision. Did you know this? I love when modern-day psychology or mathematics or science proves what the Bible has said for millennia. This is the case here. So you probably have heard of John Gottman. He is a very famous marriage counselor, famous because he studies couples, he and his group, and they can um, predict with 90% accuracy within 15 minutes whether a couple will stay married or get divorced. Just looking at them. And they started coming up with this system because they, they saw it after years and years of studying. They would look at facial expressions, words, tones, usage. And there's all these dozens and dozens of different things that they would measure. And they would literally give it a number value. So John Gottman and his uh, group teamed up with a mathematician. And they put this to work. And they actually came up with an equation, a mathematical formula, to tell whether a couple could have a resolution or whether it would lead to a divorce. They found this out, and what's really interesting is that equation also works in between two nations having an arms race. So basically what it's saying is that a couple on the brink of divorce is the equivalent of two nations about to have a nuclear war. That's, that's what it's telling us with this <laughs> equation. But what they found is this equation is called the negativity threshold. And it's the idea that everybody has this threshold of little things happening in a relationship. And when the little things build up and build up and build up and go over that threshold, that's when they become a fight, right? What they found in their research is that the couples that have the lower negativity threshold actually are healthier and more successful. Meaning couples that talk about even little things that are bothering them are more successful than those that say, oh, I'm just going to let it slide, I'm going to let it slide and let it slide, I'm going to let it slide again. Ah! Right? They're more healthy. This is the biblical principle. What's so interesting is Hannah Fry in her TED Talk talked about this. She wrote this uh, thing on the mathematics of love, and she said, there is really mathematical evidence that shows you should not let the sun go down on your anger. That's what the Bible said, right? There's mathematical evidence that shows you should not let the sun go down on your anger. You should handle these things that are bothering you. Yes, some things are even lower than that negativity threshold. You can let them go or figure out a way to resolve it on your own. But you need to talk about the things. And what's best is if you realize, hey, this thing is kind of building with me, and you're still calm about it, you haven't passed your threshold, then you can say, hey, we need to just chat. Let's go get coffee. Let's leave, leave the kids with, with so-and-so. We'll hire a babysitter. You go on a date. You talk about it. You hash it out, and you figure out a solution that both people are happy with, and you can move on. And you can do it while you're still calm and you haven't erupted and you're not throwing things at the other person. You're not insulting them and saying awful things, right? If you have that low negativity threshold and you're handling things right there, you are going to have a healthier, happier, longer relationship. Pretty interesting stuff, right? So this is why I challenge you. I want to challenge you. Don't um, delay it. Don't make this fight go on forever. Don't just stay angry for years. Because even couples that say, I'm just going to squash it, I'm going to keep it to myself, and once the kids are out of the house, then we can deal with it. Man, sometimes it's couples when the kids leave the house and they're in retirement, that's the worst time for marriages. You think everything is going to get better, and it's not, because all this stuff's been building and building for years. We've got to work on these things, talk about them, figure out a way that we can have some healing. But here's the fourth thing you need to do. Forgive forgive. Now, I tried to make it in a way that's a little memorable. Stop, throw things, avoid delays, forgive, so it's staff. If you don't do them, you'll have a staff infection in your relationship. <laughs> Will that help you remember it? Maybe? I don't know. Forgive. F is forgive, right? I, I, we have to do this. We have to forgive. At the end of our passage in Ephesians 4, verse 32, it says, forgive each other just as God forgave you in Christ. Forgiveness is the hardest but the most important component in this. Because when you forgive another person, what you're saying is, I will not get even. I deserve to get even. You have hurt me. You have done something wrong, but I'm not going to get even with you. I'm giving that up. I'm giving up my right to get even with you. I'm going to forgive you. 
Now, this is a very hard thing to do, and this doesn't mean you just go and get hurt again and again and again. But it does mean that most of the time, often, nearly all the time, we need to forgive. And even when you have to set up a boundary and and say this isn't working right now, you still need to forgive them. Say, I'm not going to get back at you. I'm just not going to let you hurt me anymore. We always have to forgive. We have to forgive if we want to do this. Um, Ken Sandy, who is actually like a nationally renowned peacemaker, he said this in his book. He said, "It, it isn't right to let people off easy. So this is what people come in to him and talk about. Whenever I hear a Christian speak these words, I ask, where would you spend eternity if God dealt us justice with no mercy? What he's saying is, especially for those of you who are Christians, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the only person who really has had justified anger is God, and it's against you. You have done wrong, you have sinned, you have broken promises that you have made to him, you have not lived up to his expectations ever, and yet he still offers forgiveness. He still sends his son, Jesus Christ, to come down, and even though he was perfect, he suffered and was punished and executed in our place. That punishment, that anger, that wrath that we deserve was put on Jesus Christ on the cross. And if God did that for us so that he could forgive us, how can we not then forgive other people around us? If we have been forgiven, we must forgive. And we are forgiven people as Christians. So I want to challenge you to forgive. This is what we're called to do. We have to do it. God did it for us. So I know that the words I've given you today are kind of challenging, right? Some of you right now are in that fight. You barely made it to church or maybe you made it to church and the other person didn't. Because you're fighting. It's okay. No judgment here. Definitely no judgment here. But what I want to challenge you to do is to try to win. Not get your way, but to win in the relationship. Figure out a way to deal with your own anger or help the other person deal with theirs. What are some things we can do to move forward so this doesn't happen again? To apologize, because all of us have something to apologize for. Find it and apologize and be sincere, mean it, and then tell them how much you love them. The relationship is more important than your resolution. We've got to start winning in our fights. I want to challenge you guys to do it right now. You guys are even thinking of a person right now, I know, of a fight that you may be having. So I want you to get together with that person today. Call them up if they're not here. Get together with them if they're not here. Drop the kids off somewhere. Kids, Some of you kids are in here and your parents drop you off. That's because they love you. They're working this out for you. But I want you to do it. Because the fight... It's one. It's when anger is done. Let's pray. Lord God, um, we all have arguments. We all have fights. We all have conflicts in our relationship. Uh, It's just natural because we're different human beings. But Lord God, we want to win not just for our own sake, but for the sake of the couple, of the family, of the relationship. And I pray that you would enable us to do that. That we would no longer sin in these conflicts and make things worse. That we wouldn't uh, avoid delay. That we would just be able to handle it and, and throw it at you, God, so that you can give us the healing we need to forgive that other person. I pray, God, that we would be people who forgive because we have been forgiven. And I pray that we would really start winning and our relationships would grow stronger, our marriages more healthy and successful. And those in here right now who are in a major fight or feel like, man, I'm on the brink of divorce, that you would provide healing and reconciliation today. That you would make that a chapter in their life where they can look back and say, we learned so much through that. And now we are healthier. Lord, I pray that blessing on those couples, those families right now. Provide healing in these relationships through the forgiveness of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we announced that we're doing five baptisms in the second service, but you guys are going to get to see one today. Okay, we, we do have five in the second service. You might want to come back and check that out. But we have one person getting baptized in this service. So we're going to show the testimonies of the other five. And this person I actually met this week, his name's Chris. And Chris and I talked on the phone, and he was going through some stuff, and he accepted Christ this week um, for the first time in his life. And he accepted Christ, and the Holy Spirit lives in him, and he has a new life now. And he wants to show people. He was on his way driving to California, and he called me back and said, Matt, I need to get baptized this week. 
I said, awesome. You show up Sunday morning, and he did. So Chris is here. Um, so we're going to show these testimony videos of the second service person, uh, people, and then we're going to baptize Chris, okay? It's going to be exciting. And if you're here and you're saying, Matt, I've never experienced the forgiveness of Christ. Maybe I want to accept that for the first time. Come talk to me. We can get you baptized too. I mean it. We have people show up on Sunday mornings and get baptized, and it's awesome because God forgives them, and then they can go forgive others. It's a powerful moment that we get to be a part of as someone shows what has happened internally with this external um, declaration through baptism. Okay, so let's watch these videos. My name is Sawyer Trapp, and I'm the student ministries director here at, at the church. And uh, it may be weird for you to see me up here um, being baptized, but um, it's a wonderful opportunity that I've been given in starting off my ministry here with being uh, baptized as an adult. I grew up in a Christian home and um, was baptized as a baby. I grew up in the Lutheran church, and um, they, they just approached baptism differently at the age of probably Six or seven, um, came to my parents one night and was like, you know what, I want, I want Jesus in my heart, I want to be saved. And so they prayed with me, and in that moment on, I, I was <laughs> kind of full on for Jesus. Um, felt for a long time that God was calling me to be a pastor. Um, God led me here to Denver for seminary. And um, throughout the seminary process, really dove into the Bible. And the more I studied, the more I looked, the more I saw instances of believers coming to faith and instantly being baptized. I, I, my thinking on baptism changed. You know, it's a hard thing when you grow up in, in a certain environment where they approach things a certain way, and it's hard to go against that. But, you know, when I looked more and more at the Bible, I, I was struck that, you know, I, I need to be baptized. <laughs> that was a hard decision to make, um, but here I am today. I'm, I'm so excited, and hopefully it can be an example to you guys to not not feel scared if you grew up a certain way, but as, as God leads you and moves you to take steps of faith, I hope it can be an opportunity for you to do so. Thanks. My name is Andrew Geraldo Cruz. I grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist household. I guess the best way to describe it is um, a church that focuses a lot on the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments and the Seventh-day being the Sabbath day, and that's the only day they think you can worship. I like to consider myself or think of myself as a logical person, and during high school, based off archaeological evidence and scientific evidence, it became clear to me that um, there had to be a creator, and that the creator did send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. I'm deciding to be baptized because um, I realized that I want Christ to be at the center of my life, and I want to start living for him instead of living for myself, and I've seen how that can transform my life and those around me when I make the decision to do that. Hi, I'm Erin Cruz. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, always going to church, so it's always been a part of my life, but it wasn't until I was in college that I really understood what it meant to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Um, and so I've kind of thought about being baptized ever since then. And then this year I have faced a lot of kind of difficult trials and it has brought me even closer in my walk with God. And I've really learned through those trials what it means to, um, surrender my life to Jesus. And so that's what I've decided to do and why I'm being baptized today. I believe in Jesus ever since I can remember. Um, but you know, until recently I haven't had a full appreciation for, what it means to be a Christian. We moved to Colorado in early 2017 and started attending Stapleton Church in October of last year. Um, at the time, I had a very superficial relationship with Christ, and I didn't really realize it. Um, within the last year, I've felt my spiritual growth uh, increase exponentially. I used to think that choosing to follow Jesus meant electing to receive his gift of salvation and then trying to be a good person. I still think those things are true, but I now know that it takes a lot more than that, as it is a commitment to living a life, abiding by his teachings, and choosing Jesus over everything else in all that you do. I know I cannot live up to this task, uh, so I'll definitely need God's grace and mercy, but since I've taken the steps to follow Jesus, I've felt his influence in my life, and most importantly, my relationship with my wife. Um, we've 
elected to raise our kids in a Christian family, and it means a lot to us because we see that it's really lacking. Uh, Jesus' message is really lacking in the world uh, these days. And choosing to be baptized today is a demonstration of my commitment to choosing Jesus and following him. I'm choosing to have Matthew Dion baptize me because he has been an uh, incredible influence in my spiritual growth. Matthew has been our community group leader and a close friend, and I'd like to share this moment with him. I am Erin Dennington, and I grew up going to church with my family. I was in church and Sunday school most Sundays. Um, and when I was 11, I went through a class that Methodist churches do called Confirmation. And at the end of that process, I asked my, pap- my pastor to baptize me. When I was 11, I really thought I understood what it meant to be a Christ follower. Uh, but as I got older, my walk with Jesus became more distant. And when I graduated high school and went to college, I was having to kind of contend with the sort of childlike version of God that I was taught and kind of wrestle with some really difficult passages in the Bible. And I didn't know what they meant. And instead of that bringing me closer to God, I became confused, and I was angry with God and skeptical. And so I kind of stopped following Jesus. And when that happened, my life became pretty bad. Um, I had lots of conflicts in my relationships, um, betrayals, and it was a really sad, lonely, hopeless time in my life. And I guess the turning point was after we had moved here, I was back home visiting my grandfather, and I was in the next room, and I overheard my mom talking to my grandfather about just how sad she was that I didn't go to church anymore, and I seemed to have lost my faith, and even though I didn't really talk about issues in my relationships, my mom could see I was really sad, and... And so I kind of took it to heart, and I took that moment to really think about where I was at in my life. And I thought, maybe this was my chance. Maybe going back to Jesus would would be where I found hope again. And so we came back, and we were at um, the Stapleton Easter Egg Hunt, and Jackie Mudd invited our family to church. And I thought, okay, well, this, this is it. Let's do it. So we showed up. Not right away, it was a couple of months later, because Matt was doing his Come and Follow series, and it was different this time in church. Things were just resonating with me in a new way, and and God was so good to me. He placed so many people in my life that, that were speaking to me about these really difficult questions that I had struggled with, and it would be like I would pray one night. And the next day in church, Matt would say something that was a direct answer to that. And in my community groups, people were encouraging me to read books that were answering these really tough questions I had. And and I just felt God's presence, and I knew he was seeking me out. You know, I was his boss sheep, and he was trying to get me to come back to him. And so I started praying more. I started reading the Bible more and not just reading it because I should. Like, let's check that off the list. Read the Bible today. I was really excited to read it. And God just convicted me that I had been living a sinful life. I had been distant from him and that it was time to accept that Jesus was my Savior. And so that's why I want to be baptized. <laughs> Chris, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, I do. Therefore, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Church, can you please sing? Blessed assurance. 